Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. So howdy. It's good to be back in Aggieland. A little bit about me. My name is Benjamin Pinkerton and I went to A&M. I graduated in 2014. A whoop right there. Yeah, a lot of you out there I see. And so we, uh, man, I just noticed my parents are here. It threw me off a little bit. I was like, oh, my parents are here. What in the world? All right. So um, that was fun. Sorry, I threw my, my train of thought off. So I graduated from A&M and I immediately went into crew uh, military where I worked with Valor, which worked specifically with cadets on campus at Texas A&M. And then after I finished that with crew, I went into working for a church called Grace Bible Church, which is, yes, here, and uh, specifically at Creekside. And I worked with youth ministry, and I worked with Club 56 ministry, but I was involved in college ministry all the way through college, and, and I really grew and took my faith a lot more serious throughout my time in college. I really believe because of the impact of being in college ministry, doing life with other college students and having mentors in my life that would push me towards godliness to know him and to, to proclaim who he is wherever I was going to go. So me and my wife, Kara, we moved to uh, Dallas four months ago where I'm now going to Dallas Theological Seminary, working part-time at Starbucks, and she works at a nonprofit ministry called Advocates for Community Transformation. That's a little bit about us. And uh, so when I was in college... As I was going through school and through classes, and really even in grade school, this, your story might be a lot like mine, maybe not, but I was a horrible student. I was terrible. And the reason I was, as I look at it, is I made good grades, uh, but I was always doing just that. Everything about my, my classes, to the sports I was involved in, to being in the core, a lot of who I was was wrapped around uh, proving myself. It was wrapped around um, hitting standards and benchmarks and proving myself. And so even in school was just kind of a stepping stone of I have to get good grades. And that's about the extent of education for me. Right? And so sometimes my grades were good. Sometimes they were bad. I would be upset if they were bad. I'd feel great if they were good. And so it was always kind of this, I want to prove myself in grades. And that was school for me. And the reason I tell you that story is because I think that a lot of us um, view Christianity and especially evangelism in that same way. That we think of evangelism as if I'm doing this, this, and this, then I'm golden and good and I'm a good Christian. I can feel good about myself. Uh, But if I'm not, I'm going to beat myself up. I'm going to feel like I'm not being spiritual enough or good enough. I'm not walking with Christ well enough. I'm not loving people. And it's just kind of this, you put yourself down and most people... Whenever we talk about evangelism, I, I just wonder how many of us immediately were like, oh, great, evangelism. All right, he's going to get up. He's going to tell me that I don't love God or people because I don't go and constantly share my faith with all those around me. And that's not the message for today. Right? That is not the message. And I hope that you either gather that in our prayer is that our identity as Christians, we have the freedom to walk out who we are in Christ. And a part of that is proclaiming who God is to those around us who do not know him. So we're going to go through evangelism. So specifically today, I want to talk about what is evangelism. All right, a lot of us, um, maybe the terminology 
is kind of confusing. We talk about the gospel. We talk about the Bible. We talk about scripture. We talk about evangelism. And we all kind of throw it in the, the evangelism is the Bible or the gospel is the Bible, right? And that's true to a certain extent, but it, but it doesn't wrap um, our minds around what is the holistic picture of what does it mean to be a mature believer who disciples other disciples, who evangelizes by proclaiming who God is to those around us. So what is evangelism? Why should we do it, right? Are we all called to do it and why should we? How do we engage in evangelism? And specifically, we're gonna look at an example from Jesus in John 4, verses one through 26, if you wanna turn there. We're gonna be going through John 4 and his example with a Samaritan woman at the well, which a lot of you have probably heard But this is one of Jesus' greatest examples for us of him evangelizing, especially because she is one of the only people in the entire Bible that he he straight up tells her, I am the Messiah at the very end, right? And that is mind boggling that he would proclaim that to who he did and to see the effects of what that conversation allowed to happen. And we get to put ourselves in Jesus' shoes and say, how can I be a better evangelist looking at the example of Jesus. Then we're going to look at why aren't we engaging in evangelism? And there's real obstacles in this room and there's real anxiety when we think about it. And so I'm going to throw up some obstacles that we have personally with, man, this is hard for me to go and tell others. And, And I bet we can relate with any one of those obstacles. And lastly, hopefully some tools, some resources right? Some diagrams, talking about our testimony, and then I'm going to provide an awesome opportunity, direct application, even here at Grace Bible Church, with how you can get plugged in with opportunities to go and do evangelism. All right, so I'm in Greek right now, and Greek takes all my life. I'm in six classes, which is not uh, common. It's a little too much, but at DTS, and one of those classes is Greek, And Greek takes probably 50 hours a week for me. And so I had to at least put a little bit of Greek in the sermon to feel like it's worthwhile as of right now because I'm in Greek one, right? So, Eungelion. Yes, impressive, right? I've worked 50 hours a week the last semester to learn that one word, right? So, Eungelion means the good news or the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, specifically his life, his death, his resurrection, and the life that he offers us. That is what we talk about when we say the good news, the gospel, eangelion. Well, this weird looking word is eangelizestai. And that actually is where we get the word evangelism. And it's literally to preach or to announce the good news. And so when we say evangelism, all we're saying is we are telling people the gospel. And so we sometimes get a little bit mixed up and is evangelism like me looking like a good Christian person or what's the content of evangelism? And that's kind of what we're going to get into. If the clicker works, there it is. All right, so Jesus gave us all a mission. In Matthew 28, he said, all authority has been given to me, so I want you to go, I want you to make disciples, I want you to baptize them, and I want you to teach them. And that, in essence, is a mission that he has given all of us, the Great Commission, to go and proclaim who Jesus is. So one, none of us are exempt from evangelizing. One of the obstacles a lot of us kind of face is, that's not really my personality. That's not really, my spiritual gift is not evangelism, so I don't have to do it, right? So we, we kind of cling to these, well, my Myers-Briggs and my personality tests and my spiritual gifts don't really align with kind of doing evangelism, so I'll let the evangelist do that and I'll go do Bible study, right? Which is awesome, Bible studies are great, 
But I think hopefully we can all wrap our minds around this is a, actually a mission that we all get to partake in. Then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the content of what we are proclaiming. I told you it was the gospel. Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, right? Pretty simple. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. Right, we can get into more implications of what does that actually mean for us, that he lived a perfect life and that he was a sacrifice for our sinfulness, which separated us from our relationship with God. But if you can wrap your mind around 1 Corinthians 15 and say, this is what I want people to know, that there really was a person named Jesus Christ who lived a life, he died and he rose again. And because of that, there's implications for us. Now, I think a lot of us actually have a thing against evangelism because a lot of us have a thing against uh, salesmanship. I know for me, I get phone calls all the time now. I don't know how they get my number, but every day I probably get three or four phone calls of like either a robotic voice, like, you know, welcome to movie phone, or they explain like some sale that they're going to do. And like my first thing is just to hang up. It's like all the time. And I think that a lot of us see evangelism as salesmanship. I've got to present this thing in a way that it's so enticing, they will buy my product. And if I'm not good enough at selling the product, then I failed, right? And so a lot of us avoid it and we really don't like it. But that's the thing, evangelism is not salesmanship. It's not imposing our views and you have to believe what I'm telling you. But the reality is evangelism is the truth. We are telling truth. We are stating facts, and so they can accept or deny the facts, but our job is not to convince them in a way that we're changing everything about their thought process and they're just grasping it because of how well and how eloquently we're teaching them. That's not what evangelism is. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we'd say that's kind of how I view it. I got to go present and I've got to, you know, kind of coerce them. I got to kind of sell Jesus in a way that they're really going to like it. I'm going to avoid the parts that they don't like, the whole like exclusion, Jesus is the only way. Like I'm going to kind of go in, in circles trying to show this is a good product for you. And, and there's actually a, a cool quote. It's very small, so you can't even read that. But the idea of it, and you can look at this PowerPoint, there's scripture we're going to be using a lot. And so if you're taking notes, when we tell the gospel to people, we need to do it with honesty. To hold back important and unpalatable parts of the truth is to begin to manipulate and try to sell a false bill of goods to the person with whom we are sharing. So however we evangelize, we aren't to hide problems, to ignore our shortcomings, or to deny that there's difficulties in the Christian life. We're not to put forward only the positives that we imagine our non-Christian friends presently value and present God as simply the means by which they can meet or achieve their own ends. We must be honest. So a lot of the time in evangelism, our struggle is we try and sell Jesus in a way that will be the best for them to receive. And we have to be careful because there's parts of the gospel we can't leave out. And there's things that we need to proclaim in truth with grace and with wisdom and discernment based on where they're at that we're, we're going to get to, but, but it's not salesmanship. So we get that. Here's really the big piece that I want to talk about before we get into Jesus' model. Why should we evangelize, right? A lot of us are skeptical about, I do things just because my parents told me to. I was raised in a culture that told me I was supposed to do this, and so I do it. A lot of us actually stand up, and in college, when we become more autonomous, it's like, I don't just believe things because that's what my parents told me, 
or because I went to a church that was kind of made to go to. And that's why a lot of times people in college fall away from the church that maybe they went to growing up. And, and so if you view evangelism as you have to do this and you're a good Christian, if you do, but if you don't evangelize, then you're failing Jesus and you're failing as a Christian. A lot of times that's how we view it. And that's just not our motivation. If that is our motivation for telling people about Christ and evangelism, then none of us will do it. We'll all fail over and over, keep screwing up, putting ourselves under this law, and, and we fail. And we will consistently struggle, and we will hate and resist walking with the Lord and wanting to tell people. The reality is that we love God and we love others. Here's a fun example, right? So I'm, I started doing CrossFit last year. I tell you this because I know that most of the time, this is kind of funny, most of the time when someone says CrossFit, there's two reactions. Either the person also does CrossFit, like, yeah, or it's like, oh no, you're one of those guys to talk about CrossFit. This is so annoying, right? Right? And so here's, here's the rules in CrossFit, right? We, we, no one actually says this, but apparently the, uh, the hidden rule of CrossFit is always talk about CrossFit and always wear CrossFit clothes. And I'm guilty of both, right? It's just, what in the world? Like, what are you doing? Well, here's the thing. I want to say that we always will proclaim, represent, and talk about that which we love. That is what we do. Give me another example, a little easier for some of y'all that are like, don't talk about CrossFit anymore, right? How about this? Texas A&M, right? Aggies right? Oxford. And that was a fun win. That was the first win in two years on the road in a conference game in November, right? And we'll proclaim that to everyone, right? We're in Dallas. Me and my wife were in Dallas and we see like an Aggie hoodie when they're running. And we're like, yeah, giggle, right? It's like, yeah, this is awesome. And then we get out here and everyone's wearing nonstop Aggie gear, right? And then we wonder like, why do people think that a and like a cold type thing? That's so weird of them, right? That's the reality. We will proclaim and represent that which we love in marriage, right? So this is kind of funny. My, my wife always says, please do not bring me up in the sermon. You know why? Because I always bring her up in the sermon every single time. And she's like, people are probably annoyed about hearing about me in the sermon. Just, you know, and she asked me this morning, like, you're not putting me in the sermon. I'm like, yeah, you'll see, right? She's sitting in the back like dead gummit, right? But here's the thing, I can't not talk about Kara because I love her. I can't not talk about Jesus because I love him. Trying to see where I'm going with this? We will passionately represent, talk about, at any chance we get, the things that we care the most about. And so sometimes that's going to be a reality check for us. Like, oh, I'm ashamed to tell the gospel, or I'm scared of the social impact it's going to have on my friendships. But you know, I, I don't really care to tell everyone, like, I don't care if you're like, do not talk about your wife anymore. I'm going to talk about my wife. Like, I just can't help it. Well, I hope that we also have that same representation of Jesus in our lives, in our spheres of influence. Where we're at, it's always on our mind. Like, I can't not talk about Jesus. That is my life. My life now and my life to come is wrapped around the person of Jesus and what he did for me and the relationship I have with the creator of the universe. And I can't tell, I can't tell you enough how much I love him. Right? Everything about all my decisions, it's, it's wrapped around him. And so that is our hope. I got some passages. John 13, 35, by all this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the mark of a good Christian? It's not how much you read your Bible and how much you pray and how much you X, Y, Z. The mark of a Christian to the world around you will be how well do you love people? And this is wrapped around who God is because God loves people and you represent him as his image bearer on this earth.
Matthew 22, the great commandments. Teacher, man, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you love your Lord, your God, all your heart, your mind, and soul. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law is summed up in those two. Everything about the law, everything about who you are, everything I have done is out of love. I've created out of love and I've let you be a part of this Trinity love because I love you and I created the universe for that purpose. And now I want you to represent everyone around you who I am. And I am a God who loves you. And I want them to see my love through you. That is evangelism. 2 Peter 3.9. A lot of verses I'm telling you, I'm jumping all around. Right? But the main thing I zone in on is God not wishing that any should perish. That blows our mind. God is all powerful. He's sovereign. We can't reconcile this. He's all powerful. And yet he loves us enough to give us a choice. You can reject me or you can accept me. And yet it says in scripture that God doesn't want anyone to perish. Are we a people that everywhere we go, we're seeing, man, I don't want anyone here to not know the love of God and have eternal life, right? That is who we are. And lastly, kind of a sad reality, just that, that reality check for us. Everyone that I am around, including myself, if I do not believe, if I do not have this relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, by faith, by faith through grace, then I will be condemned. So now we're going to get into kind of, here's a model. Jesus to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 1 through 26. I'm going to read this decently fast, right? Because it's a lot of verses and we don't have that much time. So here we go. I'm going to kind of paraphrase too, but just follow along. I kind of start in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. This is Jesus. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. That's a key point. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come all the way out here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right when you say that, I have no husband, for you have had five. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you said that in Jerusalem in the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship that you do not know, that we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that 
the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Right? That was a lot. I hope you followed along. You probably heard it before. Here's the point. Verse 4. Number one, Jesus models for us in evangelism, presence and peace. When it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, this is key. Because actually, yes, there was a shortcut going through Samaria to Galilee. But the reality is Jews never went through Samaria. There was such a hatred in these two races that the Jews considered Samaritans as inbred, as dogs. Right? I, I don't want to go into a lot of detail because it's pretty horrible, but we can also see it in our world pretty easily. So just imagine that. They viewed them as less than human beings. They thought so low of them that they would not share in any conversation, in any glasses. They would, they would rather destroy objects that they have used than ever to wash and use them again. They, they had hatred for the Samaritans. Here's another thing about this, this context is that men did not talk with women in public. Right? That's, you just don't do that. Men don't talk with women in public. So now let's expound that to Jesus a Jewish man talking with a Samaritan woman. Oh, let's get the story a little further. Not just a Samaritan woman, but a woman that, who had had five husbands and is now living with her boyfriend. Right? She is the lowest of the low. A Jew would never come near that. And yet it says in this passage, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, a lot of us, when we get to the obstacles, we're going to say this. One of my biggest obstacles is I just am not really around non-believers very often. Or I don't have time. My schedule is so busy that there's no real time for me to go and do evangelism. And Jesus in this moment, when he's tired, as you saw, he goes through Samaria and he's present with her. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 9. You can just write down 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. But this is the passage where Paul is, to the Jews I became to the Jews, right? To the people under the law I became under the law. To people outside the law I became outside the law. To all people I become all things, right? So that I can share in the gift of the gospel for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in all of its blessings. So a lot of us kind of view non-believers and the participation of worldly living and we separate ourselves so far that it's like there's no even chance for us to love and to share the gospel with a non-believer. And Jesus in this moment was present and he brought peace. Secondly, probing questions. In verse seven of chapter four, Jesus says, give me some water. This is a probing question. He was literally testing the waters, right? He was seeing where she was at and her response, right? That is a huge connecting point. I call it an on-ramp in evangelism. As you are testing the water, I was getting my hair cut last week. And, and again, what's the on-ramp question? I'm trying to think through, how can I see where this lady is at spiritually? Does she know God? Is she connected in a church? What, what is her thought, her worldview, her perspective of Christianity? And so I constantly have to think through, what is an on-ramp question? Because I don't, th this is typically how it works. If I tell them like, oh, I'm going to seminary. What do you want to be? I want to be a pastor. It's like, okay. And that's kind of where the conversation goes. It's like, okay, it's nice weather. It's like, I, I, okay, well, I can use it. it. It's very difficult. And so I, I typically have to almost, you know, go in this weird circle trying to, trying to find out where do you stand in your faith before I let them know, like, I want to be a pastor and I'm teaching all this different stuff. 
And for you, what's that question? I put this up, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. How does this connect with probing questions? We have to be very careful in our questions to see where can we take a step into that conversation spiritually. And a lot of the times we do this bulldozer effect of we just try and throw out everything we know about Christianity, throw a lot of Christianese and, and, and how God did crazy miracles in our life. And people are like, you are freaking me out. That's too much. And so Jesus used water. A lady who was by the water, drawing water, has to come there all the time. He finds an on-ramp, a connection point. So again, what is a good question? Y'all are going to discuss these in groups. Man, what's some good questions that we can ask with, with fellow Aggies and our classes, you know, all, all across our spheres of influence? What's good questions that we can just start up in conversations to kind of move it to not this, this uh, service level chit chat? All right. And then the next thing you see from Jesus, if my clicker works, there it is, practicing patience. All right. So in verse 17, verse 17, Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. All right, so Jesus, I mean, yeah, he, he gives her truth, but he doesn't like lay down like, well, you're a horrible person, right? Instead, he lets her walk through that. Like he actually finds a connection piece of actually what you said is true. You don't have a husband. And Jesus knew all things. And so he could have he really slammed her right there. And we have to practice patience to expect people that have never known God and then we expect them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ who they do not know. You wonder why we, we create this bridge and it's like, I don't know how to relate and I have no patience. And I just want to tell you, I did this freshman year in the core. I came in like guns blazing with Jesus all over. Like, yeah, like this is all wrong what you're doing. You're doing this wrong. This is evil. Blah, blah. And you know how many friends I had in my outfit? Like my few Christian friends, but they were like, bro, Dude. And again, that was kind of my, I just got to tell them and I don't really care. I got to throw it all out there. And they called me like preacher Jesus, like half the time. And it was like, that's not a compliment in the way they were saying it. And a lot of us have to practice patience. I don't just call out all your sin, right? And that's kind of the way that I'm going to show you the love of Jesus Christ. Like that's not how it works. And I can attest to that. It says here in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said on the cross, right? He's about to bleed out. He's literally been mocked, beaten, pretty much naked in front of people. And the people that he came on this earth to live for and reign over, they have just killed him. And he's looking down at them and he's like, Father, forgive them. And so when we think it's really hard to practice patience because their views and their world, you know, their perspective and their sin is so great. I can't, can't relate with them. This is too difficult or I'm upset. I, I just, I dare you to think about this verse. Father, forgive them for they, not, they do not know what they're doing. And then he died, right? And that's Jesus who, who was very deserving of, of being wrathful and angry right in that moment and, and, and fixing his problems. Beware of rabbit trails, verse 20, right? She starts trying to take him through this like, well, you know, you know Jews say you got to worship in Jerusalem, but here we say you worship on a, this mountain, Right? And look how Jesus kind of handled that and still brought it back to living water and this is who I am as the Messiah. A lot of the times we have to have spiritual discernment. We have to be humble whenever we have evangelism or when we do evangelism, we're talking to people about Jesus. 
Are they just doing a left field crazy question? Or is this a genuine obstacle to them coming to, their, to faith? Is this a stumbling block that is so great? I don't understand how the church treats people this way all my life. I've been treated this way because I'm different. And the church, a lot of people that proclaim they're Christian have treated me this way. And so I don't understand your God based on the people that say they represent him. That's a question that we might have to go down that trail and discuss that we as believers in the church have screwed up in a lot of different ways. Historically and even now, we have to address those issues Right? But sometimes it's just, they just throw stuff out. They don't actually know what they're talking about, but they're just trying to stumble you so that you can't keep going. So you got to be wise in that. Right? 2 Timothy 2.24, don't be quarrelsome. Be kind to everyone. Teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. How do I give gentleness and patience in this moment? Man, spiritually discern, is this a good, is this an obstacle for you? Okay, and last one, you give hope. And this is probably the biggest one. This world needs hope. And you see the things that are happening, happening in the world around us. And you see the fear and the anxiety and the stress and the suicide rate. You see the issues and the world disasters. You see evil things being done. And what we get to offer people in this world is not here. You can live this good standard and read your Bible and be a good Christian and feel good about yourself. We offer them a true hope of deliverance. And, and sometimes that deliverance doesn't mean that life is easy now. And in fact, it, it pretty much guarantees it's not going to be easy, but is a promise of hope for the future. And all of us get to share in this hope. And Revelation, Jesus comes back, right? He fixes everything. All the consequences of our sinfulness are, are gone. Right? And it says in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. When we read that scripture, right, I almost got a little bit emotional reading it. So when we read that scripture, does that hit us that that is our future? And we are so wrapped up in so many things here now and we have forgotten that we have hope in the future and that is what we hold on to. And so when we're proclaiming who Jesus is, you've got to get to, there's hope for everything that you are facing. Your body's breaking down. We will have new bodies. You are facing this racism or you've been treated this way. Like all the relationship struggles will be gone and God will fix that. And he cares about you now. Right, we get to offer hope to people in the midst of hurt and pain and struggle. And that is huge, guys. And that's what Jesus did. He who you speak of, that you are longing for and waiting for it to come and fix things, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I have came here to talk with you directly, to use you and to love you and to send you out so that people can know who I am. Right? And so that's what we do. So there's the five. You're present. Do you have time with non-believers? Are you asking good questions to get to those conversations? Do you practice patience when they aren't like you, right? And they're different and they view things differently or they have bad sin struggles that you consider so, so evil, which they are, but we all have them and we get to connect with them regardless of that. We practice patience. Do we, are we careful about their questions and, and what we really dig into at any given time? And lastly, and, and I would say most importantly is do we give them hope that, that our faith is hopeful? and that we have a future. Here's the biggest obstacles. 
And that's, I don't know what to say. A lot of us probably say, I don't go and tell people about God because I don't know what to say. I struggle with how to say it. I'm scared. I'm going to look, I'm going to make God look bad. Right? Yeah, these, these are different things. And, and I don't have it on there, but Luke 12, 11 through 12, if you're taking notes, great passage for me. Right? I might seem like a really, really confident person and I enjoy talking in front of people, but I get nervous, guys. And my heart was pounding before I came up here. And I thought about Luke 12, 11 through 12 which says this, and when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I love that we have a God who has given us his spirit that even though we don't know exactly what the right thing to say or to do in any given moment is, he does. And he's sovereign. He's in control. He knows this person's history. And are we humble enough to listen and to be careful But at the same time, I can be bold and confident because I have the Spirit of God who wants this person to know Jesus. And so I I can be confident and I'm I'm praying. Any of those conversations in evangelism, the whole time I'm praying. Like, God, I I, I don't know what I'm going to say next. Please help me to see what's a good question. How can I relate with them? How can I love them? How can I show their need right now or the hurt that they have? Man, there is a solution that is found in the person of Jesus. How do I do that? I don't know what to do. And I'm praying constantly. They will say something I can't refute. What if they bring up an argument that I don't know how to answer? What if they say something I can't refute, I can't battle, I can't challenge in any way? I'm going to look foolish and I'm going to make God look bad. Some of us might have that obstacle. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. When I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. Right? And him crucified. So the idea is, it's not about how well you, you proclaim it. I think a lot of times we put so much weight on us and we forget that God wants that much more than you do. God doesn't want anyone to perish, remember? God wants that person to come to have a relationship with him. And it might not turn out exactly how you want in that moment, in that conversation, but you can be confident in saying like, I might not be the best at speaking this. I might not know all these verses. I might not know how to refute some of their claims. But what I can do is I can proclaim truth that I know. We're getting to tools and resources, and the number one I put is your testimony. Right? Your story can't be refuted. It's very hard. No, that didn't happen to you. I was like, well, I did. So whatever. Right? Or this is who Jesus is. This is what I have learned. This is you know the examples I have from it. Like. You're just telling them how it is. This, is. this is how Jesus interacted with me and rescued me. Next one, I'll be ashamed if they don't accept the message. Big one. We think we failed if they don't accept Jesus Christ. A lot of us are so focused on conversion that we forget that there's so much to a relationship, so much more than just that they believe in this given moment. I really want to get to this prayer or I want them to say these special things and, and I want them to, you know, and we're so focused on that we forget that a relationship is ongoing and growing. A mature believer is our goal. Disciple makers, right? And so if the goal is they don't accept my message, so I'm not ever going to tell anyone because I'm scared of the consequences or X, Y, Z, they're going to say no. Again, it's easy to talk about my wife. It's easy to talk about CrossFit. It's easy to talk about being an Aggie. They can say, I hate A&M. And I'm like, well, that's okay. Like, I really like it, right? And I'll tell you more about it if you want. And that's just kind of where I go. I'll just keep telling them, you know, this is probably too much. But the point is they can accept or reject it. And that doesn't matter. 
Your faithfulness is not graded on their acceptance. Right? If you were faithful to who you are in your identity of a son or daughter of God, like that's all that matters. You were faithful. All right, so I don't have a lot of verses for the other ones, but I'm scared of the consequences long term. I don't have any time in my busy schedule. I don't have any opportunities. I don't have any non-Christian friends. It's not my personality. It's not natural. It's not my wheelhouse. All of us have used that or, or that has been a big stumbling block for us to tell people about Jesus. The last one is something that I've really been thinking about. If I can get the clicker to work again. There it is. This is a quote in a book called Total Truth by Nancy Percy. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. The promise of Christianity is the joy and power of an integrated life transformed on every level by the Holy Spirit so that our whole being participates in the great drama of God's plan of redemption. What does that even mean? We have so uh, secularized and spiritualized our lives where we put God in, in compartments and we think God is in my quiet times and God is at church and God is in my Bible study. And we kind of think in that route that God is in certain pockets of my life. And the reality is so far from the truth that every part of who we are is an image bearer of God representing who our king is at all times. And everything we do when we're driving, when we're studying, when we're taking tests, everything about who we are is image bearers of God on a mission, on a quest, right? To walk faithfully and humbly and to serve him with our identity. And so just something to think about, man, have I compartmentalized to where, man, my time with Jesus is in my quiet times. And, and um, if I do evangelism, I go out in this contact evangelism, that is only evangelism. Like, no, you are always constantly on mission, intentionally seeking to get to the place in your relationship with this individual where you can proclaim truth in a loving and graceful way. That is the mission in, in evangelism. So you might not, your first conversation have that, that conversation about Jesus. But my goal is eventually in our relationship, I represent who God is and I get to a place where I can tell you about him. Like that is my mission in evangelism, right? So, okay, so in the tools that we have, and this is something that I'd love for y'all to even think about. Maybe y'all have time in your tables, maybe not. Maybe in the future, what is it? Have you shared your testimony? Right? And I know like when I was in Impact all four years and they had us always share a testimony every year to our Impact squad, right? But have you ever gotten to practice telling your testimony? And I kind of put some, some key points in your testimony. Are you long-winded or is it brevity? Is it clear? Can you tell someone you just met and they're asking, why do you believe those things? Can you tell them in a short, quick you know, message, this is how God has redeemed me from this to this. This is what I have found walking with Jesus. Long-winded or is it, is it clear and, and short? Fuzziness versus clarity, all right? That's pretty simple to understand. Am I jumping all around or am I, man, I'm, I'm pretty clear. It's practice too, guys. So it's a skill that we learn to tell our testimony. Christianese versus simplicity. Do you drop a lot of like sin word? Like, ah, sin and grace and like the sanctification process of holiness and when discipleship and the Holy Spirit with the study of pneumatology, by the way, it's like, yeah, I just love, it's like people are like, I don't, I don't know what you said and that was ridiculous, right? A lot of us can't tell our testimony or talk about God without using certain words, righteousness. Like what does righteousness mean? What does sin mean? You know, what it, define grace for them. Like use more simple words that anyone uses in their everyday life. That's a challenge for us. Superiority versus humility. A big one. 
If you come in as a salesman, I've got all these things and you don't. And so I'm here to help you because you're broken and I'm not. And I've got all these answers. So hear me out. That, that air of, of, of superiority and pridefulness will get you nowhere. As I told you my freshman year in the core. It got me nowhere because that was, I, just, I just blasted them. I didn't really care. It wasn't about loving them and being humble with them. It was to make myself be at a place where I felt good at what I was doing. Second thing, almost done, the bridge diagram. A lot of you have seen this, right? Pretty easy. You can do it on a napkin, right? This is just a very easy skill where you write down a napkin, sin of humanity and a holy, righteous God who is perfect. How do you bridge that gap? Well, Jesus did. That's a quick diagram. Third thing, do versus done. We've probably heard that before. Religion tells you do. It's all about how much you can do and earn and merit. That's not the story of Christianity. It is what has already been done for you, out of love for you. Everything that you do now is an overflow of what has been done. You are free to walk out a Christian life. You are free to walk out godliness and doing these things that produce fruit and people come to know God. But it's not because I have to. It's not this obligation in a way that I'm graded and I beat myself up if I'm not there at any given point. Do versus done. Our world is so performance-driven and individualized, we struggle. And the last thing, before uh, I put up the resource and give you that, is the morality ladder diagram. A lot of you have seen this, right? With serial killers, it's a little extreme here. But the idea of, here's God, he's perfect. Then you got like, hey, you let them kind of pick. Who would you say is a really, really good person in history? And so what did they say? Like, oh, Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, they're pretty good, right? Well, where do you rate on that kind of goodness scale, right? Here's the reality. Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and whoever you decide to say is like this holy person, right? They weren't as good and as perfect as God. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, where do you stand? Oh, you're lower? Oh, man, like how are you going to get to that letter? Be as perfect as God? Well, no, I, I probably can't do that. Okay, bridge the gap, Jesus. So here, it's just easy tools if you're like, I don't really know how to engage in that way. So here's a couple books. If you're interested in thinking about how can I do evangelism, Bill Hybels just walk across the room. We actually did that in First Call men's group like four years ago, five, I don't, I'm getting kind of old. So a long time ago, and it was good, right? Timothy Keller's The Reason for God. I had to read that book this year. The thing I really enjoyed about that book is it actually says the seven biggest obstacles of why people don't want to come to Christianity. I gave you biggest obstacles of why we don't go and tell them. What's the seven biggest things from them not accepting and coming into Christianity? And lastly, I kind of, I quoted total truth. The idea of our spiritual life and secular life are not to be compartmentalized, not to be separated. They are the same. Our work life, our classes, everything is all a part of our spiritual life. The last thing I want to say before you discuss in small groups, there's a guy in the back. His name is Daniel Christian. They're going to have signs. They do evangelism on campus here, Grace Bible Church, college ministry, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Every week, they go out on campus, and they literally just engage in conversations, spiritual conversation. Maybe some of you are here because you've engaged with people on campus before. But if you're like, I don't really know how to do that, or I would even like to see someone model that for me because I'm still a little bit scared and I need some help. Man, we have people in the back that will set you up, figure out your schedule, find out when they can meet with you, and y'all can go out on campus together and share your testimony and hopefully get into a conversation where you're getting to share the content of who Jesus is and what he did. Very quick application. 
If you're interested in the back after your small groups, they'll be waiting for you. I'm gonna pray for us and then, and then uh, feel free to just jump in and see kind of where y'all are at. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for, uh, again, your love for us, that you would pay it all so that we can know you. And God, without Jesus, we could never know you. We could never fully understand who you were, but all the fullness of deity, full of grace and truth, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and was killed by us. But then in victory, you rose again, God. Three days, you came back declaring you are victorious and you're the king. God, I thank you that we have that opportunity to tell others that story to let them know, God, that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Allow us to not be timid, God. I also pray that we don't just beat ourselves up when we don't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to, but I pray we can walk out who we are, God, in everyday life, in our spheres of influence. I thank you so much for how many people are in this room who are in all spheres of life, God, getting opportunities to talk about you, to represent you well. God, allow us to be faithful to you, Father. And God, thank you so much that your spirit doesn't leave us to our own vices where we have to try and figure it out on our own, God. But we get to just ask you, please allow me to be useful for you today to impact your kingdom and to represent you well. God, we love you so much. Thanks for Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>